Um, but as a buyer's agent, our job is, is reversed. We take one client in different briefs. So there might be multiple clients at one time, but everyone has a different brief. And they're identifying multiple properties so they can be selective with, you know, make sure they get the best terms or make sure they certainly get the best price. Um, rather than being forced into one opportunity that might be available on realestate.com. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the show. Thanks for joining me. We're closing in on that 100 episode milestone. How are you doing? Keeping well? I've been pretty busy. As I mentioned in the last episode, I was doing some due diligence on a site and we ended up going ahead with the purchase. So I've been busy doing all the due diligence work and then switching over to all the post-purchase activities like getting the survey done and lining up consultants in preparation for a planning application. It's always exciting at the start of a new project. Hopefully I get an easier run through planning on this project than on my past projects. On my other project that's under construction, we're now up to the frame stage with the ground floor frames done and the upper level's about to be started. We lost a few days due to bad weather over Easter, but overall we're on track. I've posted a short video of how the site is looking on this episode's page or check it out on the show's Facebook feed if you want to see how it looks. A quick update on my book. It's finally ready to be printed, so I should have copies back in the next few weeks. Much like developing, it has taken longer to finish than I expected. I'll keep you posted on its release. On the property developer training front, people continue to sign up, which is awesome. And I've been adding new content along the way. In fact, I added a new module showing the due diligence I went through on my latest site. I also recently added an amazing module with a leading broker as they analyze and deconstruct a construction loan application. And it provided some incredible insight into how a lender looks at a funding application. If you are interested in learning how to develop property, then head over to www.propertydevelopertraining.com and check out everything that's in the training. Remember, you can always catch me on Insta and Facebook with my latest project updates and other news under the handle of Property Developer Podcast. I have recently published a video showing the framing stage on my current site. And remember, you can take my free property developer quiz to see how ready you might be to become a property developer. Head over to propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz to take it. Okay, on to today's guest, Jordan Navybox from Cohen Handler Buyers Agents. Jordan works with clients to help them buy property, including acquiring development sites. I've always sourced my own sites and never really entertained the idea of engaging someone to search on my behalf, but I can now see how valuable it can be for someone to seek out and bring you the types of sites you're looking for, freeing you up to focus on other value-producing activities. In this conversation, we cover how a buyer's agent differs from a regular agent, where they provide value, and when you should think about engaging one. 
I think you will find this is an interesting conversation and maybe using a buyer's agent to source your sites might become your primary acquisition strategy. Anyway, I kicked off the chat by asking Jordan about what food he would eat until he was sick. Oh my God. Um, it has to be savory, it has to be something like a spag bowl. Homemade, do it yourself. No, 100% homemade. Bob Bianca. But I guess if you um, maybe expect like a chocolate or something, but no, I much prefer savory. Okay. So have you got a special secret sauce for your spaghetti bog? Um, well, there's two options and they both involve alcohol. You either put red wine in it or you put vodka in it, which is very surprising. Oh, yes. I have heard of the vodka one before, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good way to spice it up. Yeah, 100%. I thought you were going to say you you drank while you were making the food. Oh well, at times. <laughs> it's <rude> not to. <laughs> now we're here today to have a conversation that I haven't had before on the show, which is around engaging or use, utilizing a buyer's agent to help you acquire development sites, uh, and you're a buyer's agent, so this should be an interesting conversation. But before we jump into that, give us a bit of a background about yourself and. How you got into being a buyer's agent, Jordan? Um, I'm lucky or unlucky. I've been in real estate for pretty much all of my working life after uni. Um, and it was just a really fortunate linking um, years ago when, when I met um, a guy for a job that I thought was in real estate, but it was actually for a buyer's agency position. At the time, I had no idea what a buyer's agent was myself. Um, but I hit it off, hit it off with those guys. I just really wanted to work with them, regardless of what they were doing, um, and and have loved it, and never left ever since. Okay, and so give us the the short story difference between a buyer's agent and a stock standard agent. Um, look, an agent's job uh, it's defined when they get remunerated by these people, but is to represent a seller. To, to find a collective group of buyers that will hopefully fight each other for the property and hence push the price up where they can. Um, and especially in the current market, buyers are res- having to resort to realestate.com and being one of those buyers that an agent puts in a, in a pressure cooker at an auction yeah. to purchase these properties. Um, and, and at the moment, some that don't need to do well, but others that do really well and they're really taking advantage of it. Um, but as a buyer's agent, our job is is reversed. We take one client in different briefs, so there might be multiple clients at one time, but everyone has a different brief, and they're identifying multiple properties so they can be selective with, you know, make sure they get the best terms or make sure they certainly get the best price um, rather than being forced into one opportunity that might be available on realestate.com. That's the main difference. And so why... Would a client come to you, for example, rather than searching for themselves? Um, it's just our access to properties. The more you buy, the more you have access to, um, and, and naturally the more relationships that you have. So most developers in the market, and I represent a lot of them, but most of them do have sort of 15 to 20 core agents that they can ring that will answer their phone and say, G'day, Jeff, how are you? G'day, Stacey, how are you? And answer by name and know them and be willing to share off-market opportunities with them, which are the key when developing. 
because once it's on market, it's cooked, in my opinion. Um, different for investors and, and primary residence buyers, but developers should not be buying on market. Um, so uh, a, a developer working for themselves in acquisitions might know those 15 to 20 agents if they can come and meet myself or one of our buyer's agents who would know anywhere between 800 to 1,000 agents on a, like a first name answer the phone by their name basis. Of course, our database is, is way larger of real estate agents and, and people that sell property, but um, these developers use us for our access to properties that they can't find. And so what's the relationship like between a selling agent and then the buyer's agent representing? It's really funny. Like, there's a common mis- mis- misconception that we should like where they're against each other, but it's super, super collaborative. You'd be really surprised. Um, right now when it's hard to find a site or hard to find a house if you're in the home space, um, imagine being a real estate agent trying to list one of these properties against the other 80 real estate agents in that area um, to, 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 to feed your family because you do it for a living. Um, so the, the competitive nature of the industry has greatly changed over the last five years. So an agent loves being able to ring us and say, hey, I've got this site. No one else knows about it. I'm, I'm very nervous to tell anyone about it besides you because if I tell them, who knows where it's going to go? And what they want to do is try and sell the property to us to get their commission rather than risking seven days working on the seller to go through the full marketing process and agree to their full their full commission and their full marketing fees because they know that by then three or four other agents have probably been through and appraised it as well. And you just mentioned that once a property hits the market or a development site, potential development site, you see, I think you said it's cooked what did you mean by that? <laughs> Cook just means overpriced beyond any reasonable profit. Um, the, the reason is most developers that, that are listening today will be scouring realestate.com 24, so well, at least three times a day. Um, and if they're not, they, the, my recommendation without using us, they should be um, to ensure that if anything of value hits realestate.com and it's been mispriced, you're the one to quickly jump on it before you end up in a multi-offer by the end of the week that changes the dynamic. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's just that's just really important. And so why, what's the benefit to a seller of selling off-market? There isn't a benefit in my opinion. Uh, there's certainly a convenience benefit timing benefit. There can be an upfront cost benefit, not a net cost benefit um, because the perception to the seller is I'm going to save on marketing costs, right? I'm going to maybe save on commission because this agent isn't charging the full commission that an auction agent might charge, you know, or if they call us directly, which so many of them do, they don't pay any commission at all. So they've got this immediate perception that they might be saving 50, 60K on marketing costs, which is material. But, and this is some, you know, depending how many listeners you have, this could be awkward for myself. I could be shooting myself in my foot here. But um, if you go on market, you've got a far greater chance of finding competitive interest and pushing your price up than you do if you if you don't pay those, those costs that cost you to get there. So... Um, if anyone, any of your developers are listening, thinking, oh, I've got my site that's finishing, what am I going to do with this stock? 
my advice would absolutely be to call the best two agents in your in your area where your project is and sell it on market. Because yeah, I, I wouldn't sell off market. There's unicorns, and often you might have a real estate agent that sold you the site, and you've been working closely with them throughout the process. If someone comes in and really offers you big money, and, and it's up to your agent to help substantiate for you if it is big money, um, you know, or use your own your own knowledge of of what's big money, then you might make the decision to sell it to that buyer because maybe they're a rare buyer, and and you and your agent agree that that's that couldn't be replicated even at an auction, and that's okay. Um, but strategy one should always be going to market. Yeah, I don't think there'll be too many people listening who wouldn't be taking their finished stock to the open market um, <coughs> and would I would probably... be surprised because obviously a lot of developers want to try and pick up the next site and selling can help them do that. But there's always another there's always another site, um, but there's only one good crack at a marketing campaign. So did you mention that sellers, people with land, contact you directly? Yeah. yeah they so do. how do they find out about you? Um, we, we have a, a reasonable presence in the market, um, not through social media or anything like that. Our social media could get a lot better than it is. Um, but, you know, but we're, we're very happy with where it is. Um, but, you know, if you look at someone like Gray has 120,000 followers, I think we've got about 10,000. But um, more exposure to, to the market. Fortunately, we're buying so many properties on a weekly basis that sellers become aware of who we are and what we're doing. Um, and with, with those agent relationships that I mentioned earlier, um, if some of these sellers and a lot of them are out looking at other homes to buy, you know, a big market for developers is downsizers, empty nesters, you know, clients that might have a property that might be worth $1.5 million, they've got no debt on that property, but they have zero cash flow. Um, and so they want to sell that property at $1.5 million, buy an apartment closer to the city for $800,000 and have seven hundred dollars left over for cash retirement. Um, that's a big, that's a, it's a large majority of sellers selling development sites is, are in that category. Um, so, you know, if they're out looking at apartments and they can't find an apartment, an agent might say to them, have you contacted a buyer's agent? Because they could help you find this apartment. They come to learn what a buyer's agent is. They go, shit, I should be selling my block through these guys. And where I use that terminology but don't like that terminology, we should be selling through these guys. No one sells through us. We don't sell properties for people. However, if people call us and say, I've got a property to sell and this is the address and I've got a client ready to to buy a property like that, then, of course, the, the transaction could continue from there. But I represent the buyer, not the seller. And so in terms of a property developer looking to acquire a site, why yeah. would they come to you and then how? what do you ask from them in terms of a brief? What's the sort of normal process or what's a classic kind of brief that you would get? Yeah, we're not naive that most developers are open to, to various opportunities um, because at the end of the day it is to turn a profit. But a lot of our developers are specialised in the style of development that, they, um, that they're targeting um, or currently completing or upgrading to. You know, they might have been a, a splitter client and now they've got enough, they're really keen to get into the townhouse market so they want townhouse sites. Um, you know, some clients progress from prestige housing into prestige unit developing. 
Um, so um, each client does have a preference whilst always any, any of my clients will take a splitter, <laughs> no matter what their wealth profile is. But most clients come to us and say, hey, I'm looking to build townhouses within a 12-kilometre radius. I want the finished product to be worth seven hundred to 900000 um, So that could that could then incorporate these 12 suburbs. Great. And, and, that, and that's a pretty reasonable brief that we, we would receive. Um, also, you might have a prestige house developer, you know, looking for a, a you know, house in New Farm, house in Clayfield, house in Ashgrove, where they buy the block of land, build one single house uh, or sometimes two at a maximum, and we'll sell those into the prestige um, in sales market. Again, their geographical brief will be reasonably spread, Bloomer Hawthorne, Paddington, New Farm, et cetera. But their, um, the land size requirements and profiles, you know, being a very being a good street, et cetera, all remain fairly similar. And so then what do you do then? How do you go off finding them if they're off market? What, you're ringing agents saying you got anything coming up in these particular pockets or how does, how does it work? Yeah, it's definitely our job to ensure that if anything's going to come to market, we know about it before it does. So that daily communication with those hundreds of agents is so important. And I'm lucky that we've got a team here to, to help assist with that. I certainly couldn't do that all myself. Um, but those agent relationships are also fantastic. It might not necessarily be a property that's already about to come to market, but it's great when the agents have my client's briefs um, uh, just a top of mind every time they talk to a seller. Um, so that, yeah, if an agent's going to come up against another agent on a property, instead of waiting for that seller to ring and say, congratulations, you've got the business if you put your commission at this rate, you know, they're on the front foot saying, I don't just want to list your property. I could sell it this afternoon. I've got to buy. Can they come and have a look at the site at 4 p.m.? And that's a really valuable tool for an agent to have up their sleeve. And, again, while we're communicating with them daily so that we get that first call from them. But then for... For some of the more intricate clients, and we have many intricate clients, we have to be on the front foot uh, looking for sites that work. You know, I know a lot of some of your listeners probably have databases of how many splitters there are in Brisbane and which ones have sold recently, which ones are rented out, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's not a bad tactic for finding splitters. Um, but in terms of that prospecting like a developer would, like a sales agent would, it's so vital for our um, development sites uh, and not just approaching them cold, which so many people do. We go to that next level of finding a mutual relationship with that person. And there's a myriad of ways that we can do that so that when we go to them, we're going with a warm introduction. You mean the landowner? The landowner, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whether it's via LinkedIn, whether it's via Facebook, um, as long as we've got authority to contact them, which we can usually gain, it's not like we're sort of creeping on them with the, with the Facebook stalk or anything. But it's really good to see if you do have a mutual contact with them that could, that could put you in contact because um, that's a lot better than a cold call or a door knock. Yeah. And then what happens when you make that, when you initiate that contact? How does that go? Um, we're very fortunate that, that that we've got a track record of you know properties that we've we've bought off people like them recently. Um, we're very fortunate that um, we I guess we're experienced in how to deal with someone and how their emotions change throughout a transaction. 
because it's very cold at the start. Then they get freaked out when we start belting them on price. And then obviously when they sell it, they're happy. Um, but, but yeah, that's an interesting process. So tell us a but bit we're more. So, I'm very lucky, and that goes back to your earlier question, difference between a sales agent versus a buyer's agent. I'm so glad I'm a buyer's agent um, because, yeah, the sellers can be really temperamental. Yeah, and so, I'm very fortunate that most of the time I still do have an agent colleague working on this other side because it's great for me to say to them, hey, I think your site's worth $2.6 million, but they've got no context around that, right? If there's another agent involved, then maybe they're not charging full commission because it's a quick off-market deal through one of my buyers, but um, at least they've got someone independent that can help guide them through that transaction. But the, the, the agent at that point is some often biased because they've got um, you know, they want to close it quickly before someone else finds out about it. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about price and how you approach that with owners. Yeah, um, it's a good question. Uh, it's hard to define. Look, we've everyone's seen deals. People listening have have bought good deals. Uh, people listening have definitely got friends that have that have bought good deals and wish they bought them themselves. Um, and of course, I could sit here all day rattling off examples like a splitter we bought in Banyo for seven fifty, already on two, already on two titles, and um, three months later we sold both boxes for six seventy. Those deals do exist, and uh, the seller is never being is never bullied into that into that scenario. You know, we're not in a a really um, saturated market where you can find a property starts at a million dollars and sells for 400,000 because literally even at 500,000, no one would buy it. We're very fortunate in Brisbane and this is good for the, it sucks when you're trying to buy sites, but it's really good for your finished product sales that we've got great depth in Brisbane. If someone needs to fire sale a property because they're going through financial stress or whatnot, there's still a really good depth of buyers that even if they need to make a quick decision, it's very rare that they're going to sell it for less than 10% from market value. You know, there's something that's a maximum that you would sell a property from if you knew 100% what the value of your home is. But where we have so much success, mate, is that people do not know what their homes are worth, especially in the current market. Property prices have increased reasonably dramatically over the last three years and if someone bought a property for six hundred thousand in northgate and it's now worth 1.3 and there hasn't been a recent sale in their in their street for a few years they might in their head think that 1.15 is a good price now i'm a buyer's agent i'm not a seller's agent it's not my job to, to, to change to change their their thoughts and and tell them their house is now worth 1.3. That's for an agent to go and tell them it's worth 1.5. <laughs> but um, but for us, if they're happy with 1.15, of course my client's going to love that that deal. If it's a if it's a subdivision block, for instance. Uh, and if I can get it for 1.11, that's great. I'm only saving forty thousand dollars from asking price. And some would go, well, is that great? No, I, I don't think 40k from asking price is that great. However, from market value. It's 190000 and that's phenomenal. So while we have to cast our net so wide when we're looking for these opportunities on and off market, we're looking to find sellers that are already below market value before I start negotiating. And so how do you identify that? 
it's a numbers game. You need to go to multiple owners, whether it's direct or through agents, um, as many owners as you can, because we'll literally, you know, our office will get called this week from agents and owners into about 400 off-market properties, maybe more, on a weekly basis around Brisbane. And so it's it's us analysing those opportunities and making sure we're only inspecting the 50 to 60 that are well-priced. But interestingly, the, the 320, 340, whatever's left over, end up in a database that we run. Um, and at any point, those prices could change. And we get call and there's a price change. Or we, we're, we're keeping in touch with the agent that was trying to sell it to us. Or we keep in touch with the owner that's trying to sell it to us to see, okay, it was 1.2 back in February. Are you still 1.2? Yeah, I'm still 1.2. Okay, well, I still don't think it's worth 1.2. Maybe let's catch up in another month or so if you haven't sold it. But often it could be, you know what, it's really interesting the timing of your call. We've just finally found a unit that we want. Would your people consider 1.1? And at 1.1, maybe now there's at least at least a discussion where we might offer them a million twenty. Whereas you offer a million twenty and they want a 1.2, they shut the door on you. So it's, um, it's just consistent communication. And so how do you get paid? Um, our buyers retain us. Um, so as I mentioned earlier in the chat, we've, we only work with one buyer in each brief at one time. While the firm might work with 50 to 70 buyers at any one time, they all have different briefs. So one might want a house um, in Tenerife for X, X million. Um, then there might be 10 developers. One wants a splitter block, um, but they want a splitter block in the Bayside. One wants a splitter block in Clayfield. You know, someone wants a prestige site in, in Hamilton Hill to, to, to build a, a prestige home seller for 8 to 10 million. Someone might want a, um, a unit site in New Farm. One might want a commercial building in the CBD, et cetera. So naturally, we can still take on with the buyers agents that we've got in the team multiple clients, but no two clients have the same brief. So they pay an engagement fee to lock in one of those spots. And then do you get paid on a percentage basis or is it a fixed fee basis? Yeah, we get paid on a, on a, on a percentage basis um, uh, ranging somewhere between 25 to 3% plus GST, very similar to a real estate agent in the area. Um, some clients adopt a fixed fee strategy, which is totally fine, uh, and um, the, the numbers are still relatively similar at the end. Um, but the clients that adopt a fixed fee structure are really fixed on what they want to spend. Um, like I want to spend 1.8 to 2 million, so fees I'm happy in this range, blah, blah, blah. But most of my developers might have a, you know, a splitter client might say, I'll buy a splitter for 600,000 in Strathpine, um, but I'd also pick one up for 1.4 in Kedron. So they're going to have that spread. And therefore, that's where the percentage works really well for our developers because if I find them that Strathpine one for 600, they don't want to be stuck paying a 1.2, 1.3 million equivalent fee. And Jordan, tell me, are all buyers, agents created equal? It's an interesting question. Um, no, I don't believe so. Um, you know, I know a lot of good buyers, agents that have some great networks and ability to... Uh, generate new clients, which is great. It's obviously a lot easier in the current market when there are so many buyers in the market and having trouble. But what separates a good buyer's agent from a, 
uh, sorry, a great buyer's agent from a good buyer's agent is just their access to properties. Um, how many staff they've got hunting these opportunities um, and what good relationships they hold with the agents to identify these opportunities first. Um, that's really important, you know, not just to not just to know an agent and not just to have your number saved in their phone, but to have that weekly correspondence. You know, some clients I might speak to every week for 12 months and not buy a property off them. Right. And then what's but the... on, on week on week 54, you find the banger that you've been looking for. <laughs> and what's the key to that um, good relationship with, uh, from an agent's perspective, is it bringing quality buyers through that will act quickly when they have yeah. um, opportunities? Yeah, spot on. We're really lucky. Um, with the clients that we have, um, and the and you know, and our ability as buyers agents to transact for our clients, it's great to find a property that, but then being able to close it is um is another thing. You want to try and close it at a really cheap price, but also without waiting to get put into a multi-office scenario. So that's shit. You know, all the developers listening right now have been laughing, saying, "Yeah, I hate multi-offer. <laughs> sucks." Um, but but um, so it's just walking that fine line. So I, I guess ability to source the property, but then ability to close it for your client. And what about a couple of um, success stories or interesting sites that you've found for for clients? Yeah, look, there's a lot, and obviously all the different, um, you know, there's different levels of developers that you've got listening. So if I, you know, I just run through a few. I mentioned that one in Banya. That was. That was a joke. And, and someone's probably going to be sitting there thinking, was that three years ago? No, it was only, I think, six to nine months ago that we acquired that that block. And, and yeah, the markets have moved since, and you wouldn't find another one for $750 today. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think when you buy a splitter for $750 and within six weeks sell both lots for, for $670 subject to titles being issued, that, that was a pretty powerful transaction. Um, that was a really experienced developer that bought that site. And as I said, all developers, no matter what their wealth profile, will buy one of those splitters. But typically we do have a lot of new developers coming to us looking for those type of projects because that's a really low cost, low risk way of getting into the development game. You're not building, you're not waiting 18 months to get paid. Um, it's, it's a really simple process. The hardest thing is finding them, obviously. But after that, it's one of the easier developments that that, that young listeners will do. And that was a really good example of that. Um, a house, a prestige house, um, something like Scorpia, you, you know, was a really good acquisition for Greyer. We paid $2.8 million for 600 square metres in Hamilton Hill with full, full river views. Um, that's a house that's obviously build cost has increased since since the acquisition um again you'll have listeners laughing but like if we put that current build cost not not the what the fiso build cost was it's somewhere between three and a half to four million dollars you know i don't want to you know give the gab away but fortunately the land land has increased as well but you know that's a property that's getting offers around 10 million dollars so I think you know something like that's a really powerful acquisition in the um, in the 
prestige residential space. And acquisitions like that really help with brand. That's the third project in that street for that client. And um, when when you can get multiple properties in an area and if you've picked a bad area and you've picked a main road, don't go and buy the neighbour if it's going to cost you more to do it. Um, but when you are in small, highly highly sought after streets in these in these suburbs, it can be really beneficial to do multiple homes because in Brisbane, you know, unless you're in something like Sutherland Avenue, Ascot, you're, you might have three nice houses in a row, then three sitters next door, et cetera. And by developing multiple properties in a street or an area, you can lift the value of the whole area for your neighbours. And if you own multiple properties, that's good for you. And what about any tricky, tricky briefs that, took a bit of uh, effort to fulfil? Uh, my greenfield developers are always really, um, re- really tricky and difficult because you're really identifying sites that have got big, big council issues. And if they don't have council issues, the owner's done it themselves already, <laughs> you know. Um, the, the greenfield space is all about dealing with trees, dealing with koalas, dealing with creeks. Um, and, and they are the trickier developments that, that do take, you know, a lot of time and effort. Um, it makes the, you know, the Brisbane City Council resi stuff look pretty simple. <laughs> well, coming, uh, being based in Melbourne, sort of dealing with any council in Melbourne is tricky. So uh, I know it gets more complicated when you start getting into greenfield stuff as well. So yeah, it's never really easy going through planning. No. No, it's, I guess it's a shit fight for anyone right now, even if the project is simple. Um, but especially for those Greenfield guys, it's it's tough. And so, Jordan, if someone's wanting to engage a buyer's agent, well, firstly, when would they? And how would they go about finding the right one? Um, when would they is really interesting. I think for, for, for developers that have used a buyer's agent in the past, they'll ring that buyer's agent the second they, they, they're ready for, for acquisition two or, or 25, depending where they are in their, in their cycle. Um, so I would say that, but I think the proof's got to be in the pudding, right? You've got to put on a really good show for that client for them to pick up the phone and do that again. And fortunately we do, but clients that have used a buyer's agent before, um, I won't say a buyer's agent, not we're all the same, but have used Cohen Handler before, we'll pick up the phone yeah, a month or two before they come into the money. For, the, for, for property number two. But clients that haven't used a buyer's agent before, I think it's always a good idea to, um, to be in the market yourself first. Um, know what it's like, get an understanding of it. If you can find a really good deal by yourself, I totally agree, not a lot of point paying us for the pleasure as well. But so I think it's really good and important to go and do, you know, one to three months uh, to see what to see what you can find, and if you have a knack for acquisitions and you're really good and you build really good relationships in the area you want to buy, you can do it. Right, but no one's got the extent of relationships that we've got, so it's a far more opportunities will come to you. Um, but it sometimes does take buyers being in the market themselves for a little bit to realise. Well, it's time consuming, really. Yeah, it is trawling through all the listings, contacting agents, all that stuff takes time. 
Exactly. And it's the follow-up as well. Like a lot of a lot of developers caught will get it, have it have a good day. You know, they're feeling good about acquisitions and they get a call 20 agents and they do it, right? And they they ask and they say, Yeah, put me down, email me if you've got anything. But that's where it finishes. And when an agent speaks to 20 buyers a day and looking for a good site and getting the email from all of them in three weeks when when they finally get one, it's about being that first phone call not being at the back of the book from three weeks ago. <laughs> yes, it's funny how quickly agents forget about you. 100%. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Well, what's the uh, best piece of advice that you'd say you've ever been given? Um, no, no, I'm, I'm going to say some advice to the viewers is to build your, your relationships with agents because that helps you in acquisitions and it helps you in sales. Um, you know, look after everyone and, and you'll get looked after. And that doesn't come down to a fee discussion. Um, just in terms of if you build a poor relationship that doesn't help you when you're trying to find something and it certainly doesn't help you when you're going to sell something. So I think build your agent network, um, you know, or if you want a really big agent network and you're developing in a new area that you don't know or you're going into a new field, engage someone like me. Very good. Well, where can people find out more about you if they're interested, Jordan? Um, naturally, we're online. Um, our website, cohenhandler.com.au or uh, Instagram, as I mentioned earlier, they can DM us anytime. All right. And you're, you work around the Brisbane area mainly, don't you? Yeah, so obviously I've spoken a lot to Brisbane today um, because, you know, I'm sitting here in sunny Brisbane, even though it's not sunny, it's rainy. Um, but we do have an office in in Sydney, in Double Bay, um, and, and one in Melbourne as well, who your viewers can reach us from our website also, from listeners. Fantastic. Well, any final parting comments before we wrap things up? No, not at all. Um, it's been great to be, to be on. Thank you. No, thanks for coming on. It's been good to talk to a buyer's agent. Like I said, we haven't actually had this conversation before about using a buyer's agent. I'm sure most people just acquire their sites through realestate.com or other listings and essentially just on the open market. So it's interesting to hear how you can try and secure some of those off-market off sites using the skills of a good buyer's agent to maybe get that little bit of extra margin on a project yeah 100 percent. really important all right well jordan thanks for being on the property developer podcast good to talk to you and we'll speak to you soon thanks for having me appreciate it see you later bye you've been listening to the property developer podcast tune in next time for more tips ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level for more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.